Today on Blue 58, if the title of this podcast looks familiar, that's because it's exactly the same as it was nearly a year ago. That was the last time the Packers were in a do-or-die game at Lambeau Field, and we saw almost the exact same result. The Packers lost, and they deserved it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and yes, I am happy to be with you here for another episode. It's kind of weird how different games can feel, isn't it? Had I told you six or seven weeks ago that the Packers would lose to the Lions in week 18, how would you have felt? Say it's late November, and I tell you, yeah, you know what? It's going to be a season-ending loss to the Lions at Lambeau Field. No other information, how do you feel? I don't know about you, but I would have felt different then than I do now. Because expectations are kind of weird, aren't they? I mean, they are. Expectations have a way of changing how you look at everything. Back then, back when the Packers lost to the the Lions the first time, it was a letdown because they shouldn't lose to a team that's as bad as the Lions are. And that's still true today. But today it feels even more true because, because of everything that was on the line for the Packers. We talked pregame especially about how this was what the Packers were supposed to be. They had a healthy offensive line. They have Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs fully integrated into their offense. You've got the running backs clicking. You've got the defense at least playing hard. They're getting their hands on the ball. They're, they're, the intensity is there. And then you've got this game where all of those things are coming together at once. You've got a very vulnerable, if still dangerous, Lions team coming to Lambeau Field with, by kickoff, nothing to play for. And you win and you're in the playoffs. You've made it all the way back. But then... The Packers go out and just trip all over themselves. I mean, every possible way they could lose this game for themselves, they do. Except, really, I guess, for special teams. Unlike that loss to the 49ers last year, it wasn't the special teams catastrophe that really helped the Packers lose this game. No block punt, no block field goal. You did have the Mason Crosby miss, but it's a 53-yarder in some significant cold. Yeah, he made the one last week against the the Vikings, asking for another one. Probably asking a little bit too much. And it's hard to talk about games like this, especially given where the Packers are and have been all season long. It's hard to do takes about this game that don't sound like big, scathing, sports talk radio type takes. So let's just do them. This season was a failure. There's really no other way I can put it. It was an abject failure. You pay your aging fifty million or your aging quarterback fifty million dollars for this year, and this is the team you put out there around him. You've got an opportunity to not have Joe Barry as your defensive coordinator again, and you decide that that's what you want to do. You trade Devontae Adams, which seems inevitable at the time it happened, but you you replace him with a bunch of rookies and really nothing else. You don't upgrade your tight end spot. You don't really um, add to your offense in any significant way. And then when your team struggles, you just hope it can get better as the two guys with bad knees on your, your offensive line come back and try to get back to full strength. That's the plan. 
you hope for the best from there, and here we are, out of the playoffs, 8-9. and nine. Aaron Rodgers was a failure. You get paid $50 million for this year, and this is what the Packers get in return all season long. And this is what the Packers get in game-on-the-line situation. You win and you're in. You lose, and you get the attention that you're not not really looking for. We'll talk about that more in a second here. You get the non-Rodgers skill players largely being a failure in this one. Christian Watson, good. We will, we will prevent our lovely, beautiful son, Christian Watson, from having any criticism sent his way, at least after this game. But other than that, there's a, a lot on this offense that is not great. Drops across the board. Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, A.J. Dillon. I mean, Dobbs and Dillon combined for five targets and no catches. At least two drops between them, depending on how hard you want to grade, three. Dobbs dropping both of his targets there. Aaron Jones fumbles. Again, coming up small in a big situation. I mean, you don't want to talk about one Aaron Rodgers not playing playing well in big games. Aaron Jones has had some pretty inopportune performances in big moments over the years. The coaching on both sides of the ball, I think, is an absolute failure. Matt LaFleur's game plan was bad. We'll talk about that in a second. The effort level on both offense and defense overall looked pretty bad. Defense started out pretty strong, I thought, but by the end, they looked just tired of being out there. Joe Barry's game in situational awareness was bad. And if you want to talk about little discipline things, a personal foul by Rasul Douglas and Quay Walker justifiably getting himself kicked out of the entire football game for the second time this year, we should add. And all of it kind of leads to one thing, and it's the title of the podcast, The Packers Lost and They Deserved It. It's tempting to say that it's just like the 49ers game last year. I'm not really sure if that's true, but I'm also not really sure if that matters. The bigger point is that it's all on the Packers. It was all there in front of you once again, and you just threw it all away. So now here we are again. Once again, in the long dark of the offseason. And I have to ask if it's darker now because we still thought the darkness was a, a week away. I don't want to talk about three good games, three good things in, in this game, but let's talk about some bad things. I'm not going to limit it to three. We'll just, we'll just talk through them. We, I mentioned Matt LaFleur's game plan. First half was very weird. You had a lot of lateral movement, I thought, from the Packers in this one, which was strange given how their team is constructed. End arounds to Christian Watson and Alan Lazard. Lazard getting one on fourth and one, and then Lazard getting again later. Uh, Christian Watson serving as the behind-the-line guy on play-action bootleg stuff. Watson, at least, is, is somewhat understandable because he's just so fast, the thinking you would assume is just get the ball in his hands and he can do something with it. The problem is he's still going east and west when you need him going north and south. Alan Lazard really has no reason to ever be going horizontally in your offense. You need to get him going vertical down the field. And yet the Packers came back to that again and again. The Packers also returned several times to 
empty sets, either by motion or just lining up that way outright. At least three times they did that in their first five drives. They had a third and five on their third drive that resulted in Adrian Hutchinson, or Aiden Hutchinson, Hutchinson excuse me, getting the strip sack on a weird blocking situation where John Runyon kind of almost shoves him around Yash Nyman. Nyman, rough game in this one, uh, apparently due to injury because he came out midway through the game. Uh, maybe he just got flat out benched. I don't know. But um, he, he has been a little bit banged up lately. But the empty set contributes at least in part to that sack. Uh, on their next drive, they have a third and four. You need Robert Tunney to pull down a jump ball for that to be a success. Uh, you have a third and ten on the fifth drive, and Robert Tunyon's slant sets up a fourth and six where the Packers get a hard count to work, which leads to A.J. Dillon converting, converting on a fourth and one attempt. At best, very, very mild success. But it happened regularly enough to think that it was a conscious choice. And it seemed to put the Packers in some tough situations because it, it wasn't really providing all that much that I, I don't think you, you couldn't have gotten from just your normal offense. You also have Alan Lazard's fourth down call uh, as a part of Matt LaFleur's game plan there. LaFleur has been extra aggressive here down the stretch going for it on fourth down. And in, in a vacuum, uh, well, even in the context of the game, I don't even think I disagree with that decision. I do, however, disagree with the play call. Because you've got Aaron Jones on the field, you've got Aaron Rodgers on the field, you have Christian Watson on your, on the field, and your money down play is Alan Lazard running sideways. I don't understand the thinking there. I think you can question whether that was a, a purely Lafleur call or whether Rodgers had a call there, because it seemed like he was he was making some adjustments at the line there for how that play went. In any case, it was the play they ended up running on fourth and one in their own territory, and it ended up putting points on the board for the Detroit Lions. Then in the red zone, zero for one on touchdowns again. You got a first and goal run with Aaron Jones going inside zone from shotgun. You've got a second and goal run with uh, AJ Dillon getting a split zone look. It looked like with uh, Mercedes Lewis whiffing on a left to right block there, and then on third and goal, Aaron Rodgers scrambling around and throwing late over the middle to Dillon. It falls incomplete. I think that's the Packers going zero for four in the red zone against the Detroit Lions. And that's really how the season gets decided. Boy, that is a pretty stunning indictment of a team that was considered just money in the red zone or the gold zone as little as two years ago. Things were down from 2020 in 2021. Now they've fallen completely off a cliff. And after things went so badly in the 2020 NFC Championship game, it seems like things have never been the same because the Packers had trouble in the red zone in that game as well. Let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. One of my sole criteria for him meeting expectations this year, remember when we did that way back when, talk about meeting expectations, what it would take for him to meet expectations. One of the things was playing like an MVP caliber quarterback again. Well, he didn't do that. The other one was don't be the problem. In the playoffs, it was specifically, but I think this is close enough, so let's let's just talk about it. The idea there is don't do the stuff. Don't give people the ammunition if they want to talk about stuff in terms of your, your legacy or your ability to perform in the clutch or things like that that are going to give them ammunition. Don't let people do the he's coming up short stuff again. Instead, here we are, are again. 
It's all going to be there, whether it's true or not. Hero ball, last throw and interception, missing throws, body language. Whether it is or it isn't his fault, you're going to have those same conversations because Rodgers allows it to be by not playing up to his own standards in a gotta-have-it game again. Joe Barry, start was pretty good. On balance, honestly not too terrible. Forced four three-and-outs, held, held the Lions to 20 points. More specific, though, I think it does get a little bit worse. I think the one thing I would highlight, other than the running defense being about as bad as it's, it's, well, it's always been, Jared Goff never seemed like he was all that bothered in this game. Just watching from the couch, it looked like nearly all his mistakes were self-inflicted. No turnovers forced. No real pressure other than the Devontae Wyatt sack. And one early pass rush that I can remember from Kenny Clark where he got a, a hit that on a pass that I think fell incomplete anyway, and I'm not sure how much Clark affected the throw other than the ways that you'd expect, just a guy getting some fairly normal pressure there. But there was not a lot to make things difficult for Jared Goff in this game. And then on fourth and two, fourth in the season, you've got Joe Barry dropping back into zone again. And there's DJ Chark putting the Packers away. And in a way, a weird kind of way, I kind of respect Joe Barry there. We're going to go down swinging with our soft zone defense. Here it is. Complete one on us. Just do it. Put us out of our misery. You just know I'm going to play a soft zone. Just find something there. That's what I do. I play a soft zone. Just the softest little zone you can imagine. Find your completion. The Lions are only too happy to do so. And they do. And that's it for your 2022 Green Bay Packers. I think we should talk about the offensive roster in addition to Aaron Rodgers not playing particularly well. There's just not a whole lot there. This may have been what they wanted to be, but should it have been? Alan Lazard, I thought kind of middling tonight. Christian Watson, of course, quite good. But Randall Cobb, not a whole lot cooking there for him. Romeo Dobbs, real bad. Tight ends, nondescript, I think, outside of Robert Tunyon's big catch there on that one-third down play. Aaron Jones looking kind of beat up again. This offensive roster, there was not a whole lot there. There was just not a whole lot there. And so the Packers can only put 16 points on the board against one of the most permissive defenses in the league. So what does it mean? Well, the season's over. We'll give you that one right out of the bat. That's for free. The bigger stuff is all questions. Starts with Aaron Rodgers. Is he coming back? It seems to be entirely up to him. He did say in his post-game press conference, I wouldn't have any regrets walking away. I, I don't think he should. I think he's done about everything in his career that you can ask a quarterback to do. I think that's fair. If he does, he's gotten also paid a lot of money. So if I had made as much money in his career at 38 or 39 or whatever he is as, as he has, I don't think I'd have a whole lot of regrets about walking away either. I'm sure I could find some ways to, to spend the money. But will he be back? Won't he? Seems to be up, up to him right now. I would say the ball is in his court. He's going to have to tell the Packers what he wants to do because there's not a whole lot they can do without his say-so or knowing what he plans to do in the future. Just 
doomed to be in the cycle, huh? Are we? I can remember thinking when we went through the whole rigmarole with Brett Favre, well, at least we're never going to go through that again. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. We repeat things forever. Well, we'll check in with Jordan Love here in 2050. How about that? Uh, boy, I don't like the sound of that. 2050, geez. Um, Aaron Jones, got a big cap hit for next year. What do the Packers want to do with that? Uh, at this point, I would say he's easily their best offensive player. Most consistent, let's put it that way. Most consistent performer on offense because Christian Watson can break a game wide open as we've seen a few times this year. But on a down-in, down-out basis, I think it's Jones that's really kind of the engine for the offense. David Bakhtiari, a big question this offseason. Can you pay him for partial availability as good as he's been? Now, I know down the stretch it was the appendix and not the knee, but early on in the season, they were game planning around his knee on a day-to-day basis. Can you pay him or have, have a guy count as much against your cap as he's going to count Given that reality, is he really, is he that good that you're willing to put up with that? I think generally I say yes, but I think it's, I don't think it's a, a slam dunk sort of question. Is Randall Cobb coming back at all? Is Mason Crosby coming back at all? Questions that need answering. For both Cobb and Crosby, I think you proved what you need to prove. Now, I understand that you've got only so many years that you can play football. But if if it's not going to be in Green Bay and it doesn't look like, I would guess it's probably not in Green Bay for Cobb for sure. And Crosby, boy, gutting it out all season long, it seems like with nagging injuries, ending with a pretty, you know, pretty respectable stats, I should say. Not even just respectable, like quite good. That 56-yard kick is going to stick in my memory with the against the Vikings last week for a long time. One of the best of his career. But, um, shoot, he looked beat up and just couldn't get it to the end zone pretty much all season long on his kickoffs. More practically speaking, what do the Packers do with their defensive coordinator situation? Did Joe Barry do enough down the stretch to save his job? I hope not, because that feels like uh, missing the forest for just two or three trees and trees that may not really have had that much to do with Joe Barry to begin with. Torturing that metaphor a little bit, but we've talked the last couple weeks about, you know, the Packers have been playing better, and I think they have. I think it's fair to say that they were playing better down the stretch, but a lot of what made the Packers, made it possible for the Packers to go on this run, especially as as far as the Packers' defense was concerned, was they were playing bad teams, and bad quarterbacks maybe more specifically. Just just to recap it again, this four-game winning streak has included a win over Justin Fields and the Bears. Fair to Midland, at best, I think I would say, for Fields. Baker Mayfield and the Rams. Uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa with a concussed noggin for the second half. Kirk Cousins, who is a, uh, a wild card, it seems, from time to time. Sometimes you get good Kirk, sometimes you get bad Kirk. And then a loss to Jared Goff. I mean, it's not like the Packers were taking down juggernauts there, I guess is my point. Let's not make a decision thinking that it's it's the first steps of building on something when it's really just, you you made some good plays, yes, against some, some bad guys. What about the offensive side of the ball? 
I think there's some real questions there about the the coaching staff. It looks like Nathaniel Hackett, well, it it's it doesn't look like he's a free agent. He is a free agent. He's been fired. Is he going to end up coming back to Green Bay? I would guess some side of some sort of role in some capacity is is not out of the question for him in Green Bay. Adam Stenovich. Uh, his first year as offensive coordinator, I think whether it's his fault or not, you look at it and you say, not necessarily great. Maybe not what we're looking for. Um, how much of an effect does he really have on the offense? Okay, sure. But you are the guy who's in charge of, you know, coordinating the run game, things like that. Uh, part of game planning on offense, part of the decisions as far as what the Packers are doing on the offensive line. And there's some misses there. What about a guy like Mike LaFleur? His future doesn't seem to be a sure thing with the with the Jets. Does he end up in Green Bay? I, I don't think a, a reorganization or a reconsideration, put it that way, of the offensive coaching staff would be out of line. And I think the Packers need to look at everything. And LaFleur talked about that about that in his postseason or postgame presser too. Uh, he said everything needs to be on the table. And I would agree. When you lose or, or when you when you have situations like this, everything should be on the table. On the flip side, we do have to remember at least a, at least a little bit. Don't I don't know how big of a factor this should be, but I think it is worth remembering that this was kind of the plan too. It wasn't the plan to be eight and eight and needing a win over the Lions in the final week, but the Packers, I don't think they went into this season with any illusions either. They knew it was going to take some doing to get to the postseason. They had to steal some wins early in the season to to get there, and they didn't. And I think when we start our you know our year end recaps and stuff like that about what the Packers, what went wrong for the Packers, or or you know who had good performances, things like that, that first five to six games of the year, I think are pretty big indictments of the Packers, some Packers coaching decisions. And a lot of that falls on Matt LaFleur. Offensive line stuff in the first couple of weeks. Um, deciding that they didn't want the bye week after the Giants game and wanted it in week 14 instead. Because the Giants game, of course, was traveling to London. And it ended up being awfully costly there, too, because Aaron Rodgers breaks his thumb. For sure was a factor in the Jets game. And for several other games, I think, throughout the middle portion of the season there. Even if they play the if if they even if Rodgers still breaks his thumb in the Giants game, it's probably less of a factor if he gets essentially two weeks off before he's got to play a football game again. Instead, he's got to go right back, travel all the way back from from London to uh, to Green Bay, and just start practicing right away again with a broken thumb and get ready to play a football game. There was no time to get things better. And I think that's a big, big indictment of the coaching staff. So what happens next? The only thing we have to look forward to happens in April. And it's going to be the Packers picking 15th on the clock for the NFL draft. Short of that, not a whole lot. Free agency is going to start the second week of March. You've got... um, some big decisions there too. As we've talked about Aaron Jones, I think it's the fourth day of the league year. 
uh, where he's got a big $7 million roster bonus. It's either the fourth or the second. It doesn't matter. Sometime after the start of the league year, he's got a big roster bonus due. And that's going to be a big part of the Packers offseason. What decision do you make on Aaron Jones? And, and how does it shake out um, beyond that? But that's what we've got. That's what's ahead. And so much of it, even even more than usual, feels out of our hands as as Packers fans. We got to wait and see what Aaron Rodgers does. We got to wait and see what they want to do with some of these other guys. There's no, it's hard to even know what to hope for or what you want the Packers to do until some of these other dominoes fall. And it may be a while before some of these dominoes fall. So in the meantime, I guess we enter a holding pattern. We hold, we wait. And we'll wait together. How'd the rookies do in this one? 2022 Packers rookie class, their final game as rookies, as it turns out. Quay Walker. Well, the ejection is kind of huge, isn't it? I don't know how much of a difference he ends up making down the stretch, but I think it is telling from a player standpoint and a coaching standpoint that this has now happened twice. He was ejected in that Buffalo game after another altercation on the sideline. Well, not not another one, after an altercation on the sideline. Something was said, somebody got shoved that was not in in football gear on the sideline or in, in pads, I guess I should say. A practice squad player, a guy who's not active for game day. I forget the, the particulars, but it, it doesn't really matter. He shoved somebody he wasn't supposed to and got ejected for it. He did that again today. And how bad of a look is it to be shoving an athletic trainer after the week that trainers have had in the NFL. The the DeMar Hamlin situation really kind of highlighting the importance of medical staff at a, at a stadium and on a play where, where DeAndre Swift looks like he might be pretty badly hurt, Quay Walker shoving a trainer who's ready to give medical aid to an injured player is about as bad as something could get. And kudos to the trainer, I thought, at least on the on the replay angles that I shot I, I saw. Quay shoves the the guy, I think it was a guy, but Quay shoves the trainer and the trainer turns around and is like ready to go, like ready to get in Quay's face. And this is a 240 pound, you know, professional athlete who's, who from the looks of it had six to eight inches on this guy. He doesn't care. He's ready to get up in Walker's face. And I kind of respect that. That's pretty cool. Prior to the ejection though, I thought Quay was having one of his better games. Just seemed more aggressive, especially against the run, and aggressive in a way that put him in the right spots as opposed to guessing sometimes earlier in the year and ending up out of position. He seemed to be really rounding into form as a player until he showed some of the ways that he was not rounding into form as a player. Devontae Wyatt gets his first career sack, got a forced a fumble on it too, looked like he was playing more. I don't have a whole lot more to say, but... Uh, too little, too late, I guess. Would have loved to see him get some more opportunities earlier in the year. Can't be helped, I guess. Christian Watson, no complaints. Five catches, 104 yards on six total targets. Not to toot my own horn or anything, but our season prediction for Christian Watson was 40 catches for 600 yards. His final stat line is going to be 41 catches for 611 yards. Not too shabby, if I do say so myself. Seems like we got a, had a pretty good beat on what he was going to put up on a season-long basis. Sean Ryan, of course, still suspended. Romeo Dobbs, uh, 
I felt this was one of his worst games of the year. Two catches, no targets. It just seemed like he was really out of sync. Uh, both misfires on his part were quite bad. One, an absolute dime from Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. Dobbs looked surprised to see the ball, and it just clanks off his hands. The other one, a, a slant, I think it was on a third down, I'm not sure. A bit low, but still catchable. That's the story right there for Dobbs. Two targets, two incompletions, at least one of them was his fault. Zach Tom takes over for Yash Nyman at right tackle. It seems to have been at least somewhat injury-related for Nyman. Uh, Some performance-related concerns wouldn't be out of line there, too, because I think he got beat up pretty bad to the point at which Tom took over. No complaints. He's played everything for the Packers but center this year, and apparently he was doing that in scout team, too. I, I don't know what else you could really ask for him. For a guy with the, when I say physical limitations, it's going to sound worse, I think, than I, than I mean it to. But with the size issues that he's got, uh, just being a little bit on the lighter side for an offensive lineman, to be able to play left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle, at a level where you're not really noticing him all that much, I, that's pretty great for a fourth-round pick. Uh, J.J. Ningbari. Quiet day. One assist on a tackle. That was it. No quarterback hits. Nothing else. Wouldn't be surprised if it was one of his worst pressure days uh, in the back half of the season. Of note, he introduced himself in the pregame spiel, whatever they do on the the Sunday night football, as Kingsley Inigbare. So we were told early in the season that it was that it was JJ uh, going by by Kingsley when he's introducing himself. Don't know what to make of that, but I thought it was worth noting. Tariq Carpenter did play. Had no recordable stats. Uh, Jonathan Ford was inactive. Rashid Walker was inactive. Uh, Samori Touré was active but had no counting stats. Uh, Returning to Ford for a second, we've got to come up with a name for a season where you're on the roster for as many games as he was and are never active. Like over the season, over 17, that's like a platinum sombrero. You know, the golden sombrero in in baseball, over four, four strikeouts or whatever. not even getting into a single game, despite being on the, the active roster for the entire season, is an achievement in and of itself. And I, I don't say that. I feel like when we talk about um, Ford here, that it that it comes off like an indictment of who he is as a player. I don't mean it that way. I just wonder what the coaching staff and the, and the, the general manager is thinking, keeping him around, along with two other defensive linemen who spent the – all or nearly all of the season on the practice squad and Chris Slayton and uh, Jack Heflin and never were on the 53 or active for a game either. For a team with as many issues defending the run as the Packers have had this year, that is weird. To me, at least. Maybe maybe Brian Gutekunst looks at me and says, it's not that weird, is it? Again, we've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Let's clean out the notebook and say goodnight to the 2022 Packers. Uniform-wise, great-looking game. Packers, four out of four. Perfect, no complaints, no notes. Late-season Packers football, green at home, grass stains, cold weather, long sleeves, thumbs up, two thumbs up, four thumbs up. Great, no notes. Lions, three out of four. 
nearly went three and a half out of four, but I knock off half a point here after thinking about it for the all-white Sox. Need some contrast in the lower half here. But I do like that they went white over white. They've got a couple options there for the lower half. Could wear silver pants, could wear blue pants. I do like the white over white. Not a bad look. Still need some contrast there in the lower half. Throw on some blue socks. Then you're you're really cooking there. Apparently the Lions are going to rework their uniforms either this offseason or next. Interested to see what they come up with. Uh, Matchup-wise, I think it's a 2 out of 2 for a total of 9 out of 10 points. Very little complaints. This was a good-looking game. On special teams, uh, Keyshawn Nixon had a game that was not really all that noteworthy, which is a big departure for him. It, It looked pretty obvious that he was not 100% from an injury perspective from the get-go, but it seems like the Lions went out of their way to really beat up on him in this game. Like every opportunity they had, it was a guy, you know, holding him up and then he got help and Nixon just got hammered. And credit to Nixon hanging in there and taking everything they dished out. And I'm not like accusing anything of the of the Lions of anything untoward here. It, it was, It's a it's completely legitimate what they were doing. It was, it just seemed obvious to me that they were going like, we're going to be physical with him, make him regret taking these kicks out whenever we can as a, as a a real strategy there. It appears to have worked because he was overall pretty limited here. Uh, I want to return to the Quay Walker thing and also mention Rasul Douglas's personal foul. So the Douglas situation here is uh, the Packers are trying to call timeout as as the Lions were lining up for a kick. He walks in, tries to grab the ball to prevent uh, Michael Badgley from getting in a, a essentially a practice kick there from distance. Is that a smart thing? Is that a dumb thing? I don't know. Uh, it's a little gamesmanship from from Douglas. But one of the, one of the Lions players takes a, a little bit of an exception to that and shoves Douglas, and Douglas retaliates, hits him in the face, and gets called for a personal foul. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. Yes, it's the second guy getting caught, but, I mean, you're responding, which is a no-no, and you're escalating, which is an even bigger no-no. And I mentioned that along the lines of the, the Quay Walker situation, too, because I think if you want to do the, the Packers have coaching issues take, this is some of your best ammunition. I don't like to go down that role a whole lot because I think you end up in, in situations where stuff is, is unfalsifiable and unprovable and you're not unless you're in the locker room, going to get a lot of sourced information about that. So from where I sit, podcasting about the team, there's not a whole lot I can really talk about there. But if you are a fan, and if you're just trying to assess the Packers, if you want to approach this situation from from saying the Packers have coaching issues, that is some pretty pretty noteworthy ammunition for your cause, I think. Because... That's just discipline stuff. And I think for all of the improvements the Packers defense did make down the stretch, you know, even adjusting for some of the quarterbacks they've been playing, discipline has been a bit of an issue start to finish with this team. And I think that's been a very consistent sort of thing under Joe Barry. Sometimes the performance is good. Sometimes it's not good. The discipline doesn't seem to be there consistently. As far as cool stuff, few and far between especially in a loss, especially in a loss like this. One of the things that I always like to see that just because it's a fun thing is uh, when Aaron Rodgers goes turbo cadence. So on the, uh, we saw it a couple times in the second half 
But on on the Packers' seventh drive, they get a third and three. Aaron Rodgers comes to the line, normal pace. I think it was trips to the right side. If if whatever it was, uh, Alan Lazard was lined up as the inside guy on the formation. So Rodgers and, and the offense are coming to the line. Uh, Aaron Rodgers assesses the defense as he's coming under the line. Ducks under center, yells turbo, and off they go. Next available opportunity, they, they snap the ball, just really, really going fast. That's something he does from time to time. Um, it's just basically a, 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 like an offense-wide hot route. Like I've seen something, we're going to go, I'm going to say one word and we'll snap it. Uh, that was that was cool to see, and it just showed his command of the offense, even in a game where the offense isn't executing all that well, even Rodgers executing all that well. It's It was cool play, and uh, just a shame that the offense really couldn't get anything sustained going for most of the game because Aaron Rodgers, I think, can still do it. It just, I think if, if you look at Rodgers this year, and this is something a, a take I probably want to refine a little bit over the next few days and weeks and, and things like that as we assess where he's at, assess, you know, in the scope of the season. There's there's being able to do it, and by it you mean play quarterback at a high level, and then there's just doing it. And I think this season, to me, it was not evidence that we've got Aaron Rodgers and, and Aaron Rodgers, who is who is done, who is all washed up. He may be more limited than he was in the past, but I still think you see a guy who is in command of the game, whose accuracy um, in situations where uh, he is at least mostly healthy is is there. He can make the throws. I guess is my point. He can execute the level of the offense at a high level, but this year just didn't do it on a consistent basis. Yes, there were things that were out of his control, personnel stuff, offensive line being hurt, but he just didn't execute a lot of the time. And that is that is a big problem when you're getting paid as much money as he is because that, that increases your expectations for that kind of player. It's got to be better than this for the amount of money he got paid this year and probably stands to make next year. As far as Rodgers goes, my guess right now, here in the early morning hours of January 9th, 2023, is that he's back for 2023. I just, listening to him talk, listening to you know, how he thinks about the game, what he wants to do, I think he's back. And you know, the money is not an insignificant consideration here either. He stands to make a lot of money if he returns to the Packers in, in 2023 or to some team. Do the Packers want him back? Matt LaFleur said so. Talk is cheap, though. So here on January 9th, they do. Things can change. That's about it. The Packers lost. They deserve to lose. So just so we don't go out on a, a negative note here, I want to take a second and say thank you. This is something that I really enjoy doing, doing this podcast, publishing stuff at thepowersweep.com, chatting with all of you in the Discord server, interacting with anybody who wants to talk Packers and and do it in a way that helps us all understand the game better. So thank you for that. This is at least a week earlier than I thought we'd be concluding, but this marks the end of seven seasons of Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. 
And this was obviously a unique season. Every season is. But this one is a different kind of different. You had all the stuff with, with Aaron Rodgers over the past couple of years. The, you know, the decision to, to bring him back. The decision to trade Devontae Adams. Retooling this airplane on the fly. The depths to which they fell this year. Nearly getting all the way back. It, it's been different. And it's been interesting. So thank you for giving me your time and attention along the way. I really hope that I've been able to make it worth your while this year. I, again, enjoy doing this. I have no plans to stop doing this anytime soon. And I just hope that as long as you are interested in learning about and talking about the Green Bay Packers, you'll continue to come back because I'm going to keep coming back too. And I will be more than happy to sit with you through this long offseason ahead because this is, as someone who really likes the team-building aspect of following the NFL, this is where a lot of the interesting stuff happens. I mean, chances are by the end of March, certainly by the end of the, uh, the end of April, the team we're going to be talking about from, you know, September 1st when the regular season starts or whenever that actually that first week is through the end of the season is going to be set because that's when it happens. And there may be some guys around already who are going to be a significant part of that 2023 team that we really haven't talked about all that much yet. Austin Allen comes on as a practice squad tight end here late in the season. We liked him a lot pre-draft. Bo Melton. Um, some people thought, well, Dane Brugler, we mentioned when he was signed, uh, had him ranked higher than, than Romeo Dobbs. Um, those sorts of moves have been happening already and will continue to happen through the end of the draft and into the summer. And I'm excited to talk through all of them with you. And I'm excited to continue to bring you the best Packers stuff that I can. It's late. I got to get some sleep. But even if it wasn't the end that we thought we were going to have, we thought the disappointment maybe would be in the, in the playoffs at this point. I appreciate you being along for this ride. And I appreciate you tuning in every week, multiple times a week, to hear me talk about this this football team and what ultimately is kind of a meaningless thing. You know, professional sports in the grand scheme of things is not all that much. But here we are together talking about football and hopefully having some fun doing it. I know I am. I hope you do this. I hope you did this season. I hope you do this offseason and beyond. Anyway. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you listening in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with somebody you think is going to enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.